to another fun packed thrill filled special 60th anniversary Doctor Who edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living. And joining me, Sir Michael Livesley, for this feast, this Whovian feast. Do you like the word Whovian or is it American? We're getting used to it. We'll getting talk about that. It. We'll talk about that. The Ugh. 20th anniversary special. Yes, yes, indeed. That's where I first encountered the word Whovian. Is it? Mm, That's yes. a long time ago. It is a long time ago. It's 40 years ago. Oh, God. See, I don't like that. Who are you? Tell them. Oh, um, uh, I'm Paul Carmichael. The original, you might say. Which oh. Said by the first Doctor, not played by the original Doctor. Very nice. And I, I think it's only fair to point out at this point that for those of you who are thinking, I don't like Doctor Who, some, <clears throat> yeah, something wrong with you. <laughs> something yeah. wrong with you for that. Um, but obviously, if you watch the Halloween special, you'll realise that when we try and talk about a subject, it doesn't really work. So no. don't worry, there'll be lots of the usual nonsense as well. I wish I didn't really work. Really? No, I don't. I, actually. That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Well, in fits and starts, but we were, yes. we are not. We're going to really try this week. Which one is it? That one. Which that one. one. We're going to try and stay on topic. Oh God, we'll give it. All a right. Go. So why don't you like it yeah. being forty years since the Five Doctors? Because that means I'm forty-eight, and mm. I don't like it for that reason. Because I remember when that was broadcast, twenty-fifth of November. 1983. Yeah. Part of children in need, as I recall. That's right. And the Americans got it two days before. Mm. And I think that is the first time ever I got very cross with America. And it's never gone away. Because I thought, how how dare you? I was furious. How dare you? Really? Yeah. They got that two days before. I thought, I've paid for this. I hadn't. I was eight. No. But, you know, my dad had. So I thought, well, fair enough. We should have it. And we didn't. No. No, you're quite right. Still angers me. And then I sat there through bits of Children in Need. Children in Need only used to be about two hours long. I don't... I, I seem to remember that it was the first Children in Need. I think it was 1925. First Children in Need. It was 25, 26, oh, right, something okay. like that. And it was organised very specifically to make money for little orphans in one particular parish in London right. around Christmas. Uh, and then it's grown from there. So they did the annual appeal for yeah. children, and then it grew to the telethon that we know and hate, children in need. Well, if Doctor Who was real, he could have gone back and been in that, couldn't he? He could have been. He could have done. He, he could, could have done. Him and Redvers Kyle or something. Redvers Kyle. I need to have only been about one or something. But yeah. Yeah, he so. was in uh, the Giddy Game Show, Redvers Kyle, was he? I don't know. I, I can't remember. I don't know what's that the was Giddy Game Show. The Giddy Game Show was, I think, John Pertwee, Bernard Breslau, and it's like a cartoon thing. I don't know about this. Uh, Bernard Breslau was definitely in it. I might be getting Pertwee mixed up with the Super Ted. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, but yes, well, I don't. I mean, the thing is, with Doctor Who, there's a kind of, for me, uh, there's a, a sort of psychogeographic dimension to Doctor Who. Yes. So for my, for me, the 20th anniversary special was a big sort of thing that I was anticipating and looking forward to because there was a lot of press about it. Oh God, yeah. Um, and we'd all seen the photos. I don't think that they were they were they weren't disparaging back then. I think Tom had to go first and be disparaging about his Madame Tussauds doll. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, the the dummy acted better or whatever he said. Uh, yeah. But there is that psychogeographic thing. So for me as well, I mean it's November the twenty third, nineteen eighty two, really. Right. Which is sorry, eighty one. Right. Isn't it? The five faces of season. It is. So I that was my ninth birthday. 
And so when we talk about it in terms of sort of your memories being baked in the soil or being sort of, you know, the ephemera around it and, and you mapping out your whole experience onto mm. it, um, it's kind of, it's, because I had a dinner ticket for school, sorry, a bus ticket for school, because we were poor. Oh, yeah. You won't understand this. No, no, the I carriage will have. I walk. The carriage will have, oh yeah, when the arse was lame. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, so I got this bus ticket. And I used to sell it for 15 pence to Edward Riley. Mm. Um, Why didn't Edward Riley have a bus ticket? No, no, be, well, because I think the bus, actually, I think the bus was 15p. Right. And I used to sell it in for 10p. He got a good deal. He saved himself 5p. And I got a bag of thingies and a tip top and, and various other snacks. With thingies, the crisps, the little, little polystyrene. Yeah, the packing crisps. case stuff. That's With it, a bit yeah. of cheese dust yeah. sprinkled on. Which Delicious. then led to me once thinking there was probably no difference. And I ate some of that packing stuff to see what would happen. I know someone who did that and he wasn't very well. No, I wasn't no, very well. No, no, no. Because I swallowed some of it and it's a bit toxic. Oh, I. I vomited like a dog. He literally went green. Mm, it was horrendous. Yeah. I only did that once. Yes, well, yeah, you would only do that once. Just the once. But I'd get the snacks and then I'd walk home and yeah. what was good because where my school was St Edmund Arrowsmith Ashton in Makefield if, you, if you're listening no one will be um, there were old railway lines there there was the old Boston Colliery yeah, yeah. railway line so I could just walk a bit up from school walk down that cross some farmers fields and home so winter night because my birthdays I shared a birthday with Doctor Who obviously November 23rd um, so it's got that winter night, the mist, you know, the street lamps you would be passing, the ponds where we used to go fishing, then going across the farmer's field, so there's that kind of bucolic -y sort of folky horror vibe yeah. with it and yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got in the house, <clears throat> and I sat down, and I got brought me tea on the tray, you know, mm -hmm. and it was a special birthday tea of, like, my mum's patented burnt chips, done in fat that had been there since, like, 1950. Marifat peas, sausages, bread and butter. Sit down like that, glass of quash, you know the score. No fucking around. Um, and so, add to all that walk home, you know, the sort of wintry thing, the cold chill, all that. Getting home and then the back door opening, you know, that orange chisel of light coming out on a winter afternoon yeah. of heat and warmth with the Steam. fire going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that tea, click. Oh. Three doctors. Perfect. You know how these memories work? Mm. They provide a sort of holistic vibe. But I think because of it's it's this thing that we know from our childhood. So our memories aren't going to be absolutely crystal clear. So it does take in location. It takes in time of year. It takes all these different things in and knits it together, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so for me, I mean, I was going to ask you, actually, sort of if you were to say what time of year is Doctor Who? Well, I mean, a few months later, a psychogeography thing again... We lived in a council house. You won't know what one of them is. No, no, no it's where poor people live. So well, we lived actually. in this council, this council house, and men came in to do it up. Right, we got a new bog put in because right. there was an outside bog and all that business. It yeah. was 1930, mm. after all. And so Castrovalva for me is the smell of the wet plaster and the work going on right. and these guys coming in and I was mithering the shit out of these eight hey, sparks and whatnot. You know, these are just, I'm just here to do me job, lad. Give us a fucking break. Yeah. I was like, that oh, doctor, doctor, doctor. And uh, he, he told me about Stabros. Oh, don't, <laughs> don't you remember the one with Stabros in it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He made the Daleks, you know. Yeah. So, 
So there's all that as well, mm. you know? Yeah. It's, Sorry, it's, anyway. Well, no, no, because I was trying to think yesterday about what sort of time of year do I associate it with. And I remember that when there were repeats in summer, I didn't like it. No, so it is bright. a wintry vibe, a wintry autumn, thing. wintry and thing. You see, this, it, it's fascinating when you track these things back as to where sort of like certain things come from. Because obviously the interest in television and all the cameras and all that sort of stuff for me, it's got to have come from somewhere. And there are two sources, and I've only found out really what they were in the last 12 months, right? One of them was the closing titles of Play School, okay? Because what they do is they just grab the camera around the studio, and you'd see, like, that, that bloody cockatiel thing that they had that everybody was scared. Yeah. Because it used to attack. Was it cockatoo? Uh, Cattoo, it was called. Cattoo. <sighs> and it used to... Fred Harris in particular, it hated Fred Harris and it would go for him. So if it's ever in the studio with Fred Harris, doors shut on the cage because it hated him. Right. So Fred Harris loved Fred Harris. Loved Fred Harris. Is he still with us? Still with us. Fantastic. Mm. He did that skit, didn't he, Doctor What? He did. Now, I can't remember what that was in, but he also did a six-part piss take of Star Trek on Radio 4. I approved of that, called uh, Star Turk. Um, I used to watch that show. Hmm. That he was on, I can't remember. It's like it was, a, I suppose, an attempt to do "Do Not Adjust Your Seti" kind of things. That sort it? of thing, a bit like End of Part One. It could have been End of Part One. I think it was called End of Part One. It certainly felt like it wasn't necessarily for an adult audience. A bit like "Do Not Adjust Your Seti." Wasn't know, for a child. Uh, for, for a child kids. audience, yeah, rather. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't for a child audience. So, but at the end, so the camera would be sort of like slowly panning across the play school studio, and then they'd cut to the little animation at the end. And the animation from about 1981, 82 had the play school house and it would zoom out and go into the distance to nothing. Yeah. And I remember watching play school predominantly for this moment where the house would go <laughs> into, the, into the distance. I loved that. And I was at that moment, I thought, well, is the house shrinking? And that was the first time I really thought, how's that picture? Rostrum camera, would it be? It would have been a rostrum camera. It right. would, but at the Ken time, Morse. Like, okay, what's that? Oh, probably Ken Morse. It, do you know that Ken Morse was a company? Have you told me that before? Yeah, I probably have. I could have done. I yeah. think I remember that. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't a guy. Yeah, but then my next one where that happens is from a, a program that it still scares the crap out of me, this one, that gives me that little fear thing. And it's ridiculous because it's the horns of Nymon. Now, if anybody... Uh, doesn't know this program. What we're talking about is the end of the season. You've got no money left, so your sets are basically some old theatre flats, and then you get the Nymon, which are meant to look like the Minotaur, body of a man, head of a bull. They're not the most convincing thing, and you know it's the 70s because they're wearing platform shoes. But... That's true. But there's a, there's a shot, there's one shot. Director of this is Kenny McBain. And you've got these three bloody Nymon walking down. Normally you can see their little legs in these platform shoes, but this is shot from a low angle, looking up, cameras tracking back as the Nymon are coming towards it. That is the only time I genuinely got behind the sofa. That shot scared the shit out of me. Genuinely scared me. They looked terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, you were into it so much younger than me. Hmm. Um, like I say, I'm ninth birthday. I yeah. can absolutely nail the moment. And uh, when it was going off, you know, the sort of howl around the red one. Yeah. It was just like, for me, it's still like this warmth, campfire-y sort of wintery thing, you know? Mm. So, and, and I can actually tap into that 
feeling, mm. which is just brilliant to have that there in a sort of lexicon of, oh, of mood. Well, I can do that with the Peter Davison theme music, which to me is just perfect. Ah, uh, let's let's talk about him for a bit. Oh. I mean, Peter Davison. I, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things, and and I think we're getting to the point now. Mm. He's sort of he's entering that sort of elder statesman. He, bit isn't he? he is yeah. do you know what i mean and i think that at the time certainly and bear in mind you know my access to fandom was much the same as yours you know apart from when the carriage would take you to the fitzroy tavern <laughs> once Absolutely, a month yeah. um but you know you tended i mean that's what's so gratifying these days it's hearing all the students talking about doctor who it's weird isn't it male and female and it's just like mm-hmm. wow because there was just me and it was ridicule at my school there might have been an artistic lad as well who was into it. Could have been something. I think there was but, an artistic lad who was yeah, into it. But, but I mean, it wasn't a programme. Well, certainly, I don't know. It wasn't I, cool. It, well, when Davison was in it, I got away with it. So that I would have been six. Six, seven, eight right. is, is when Davison was in it for me. And at that point, the series still seemed to have a certain amount of credibility. But yeah. after that... It lost it, and by the time it got to about 88... 88. Oh, dreadful. Well, we'll disagree. We'll talk about that. We will talk about that. So, Davison Mm. has now been reassessed, which is fantastic. I suppose that when we were getting into it, you know, did you buy Doctor Who Monthly? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Such happy memories of that. I had an order for it. I uh, did. The newsagent. It's up by my dad's, and so every... Let's see. I got the Beano every week. Yep. Uh, and then the Doctor Who magazine, of course, the Doctor Who Monthly would come out, and it came out on a Thursday, as I recall, and I was made to wait till the Saturday. No. Yes, and I knew it was in. I knew what that would have been the most agonising. It was so difficult, but on the other hand, I would be as good as gold. Ah, right, well, Father knew what he was doing. Uh, Absolutely knew. Um, But... uh, yeah, I, I remember the news agency. It was just run by old ladies. Uh, all spinsters. None of them married. So presumably these were ladies who you know, probably lost their partners in the, in the war or something like that. And now they ran the little corner shop together, which was, yeah, it was lovely running. Yes, that was definitely the story, dear. They weren't in any way entangled, I'm certain. Uh, they weren't lesbians. <laughs> They weren't They would be if Russell T. Davis was writing this. If Russell T. Davis wrote it, they would be lesbians. They would be. But this was about 1982. They weren't lesbians. So back then, fandom was probably sort of run, I would say, for the most part, by Trout and Stroke, well, probably Hartnell fans. uh, Yeah. So Davison was never really considered serious. I think that he suffered, like they all did from that period, with the uniform. I'm not knocking the the costume. I think it's fantastic. Well, yeah, I think what you had was... But for it? one story or two, maybe. Yeah, something And then like variations that. on it. But he's done the same, hasn't he? he. There's been Russell T. Davis, Stephen Moffat, and mm. Chris Chibnall now, hasn't mm-hmm. there? I haven't watched it, I have to say. Midway through Matt Smith, I mm. kind of drifted away from it. Yeah. But that one you told me to watch last year, the final one. Yes. Um, Death of the, the Power the of the Doctor. The Power of the yeah. Doctor. Yeah, that was brilliant. That was good, and that it's like brilliant. that annoyed me because I thought, well, Chibnall, so you can get it right. So you could have been getting it right for three years rather than getting it wrong, <sighs> which is what he did. I, I don't care. There are no other opinions. 
Was that story true about the Sea Devil one, about it having to be recut because it was so bad? Or was it just more internet rubbish? Well, um, I don't know if it was that one, but I've heard from several sources, decent sources, that something happened along the lines of an episode is, uh, was viewed down in London and declared to be unbroadcastable. Fix it. Um, I'm not sure which one it was, but that Sea Devils one was piss. It was awful, and it got the lowest ratings of the show ever. Yes, yes. Something like 2.4 million. Well, you can see why it made sense at a board level. So yeah. It's like, right, bring the bankers back in. Oh, absolutely. RTD, yeah. you know, David Tennant, Catherine well, Tate. Boom. Yeah, I mean, the thing Get is... Get it back on its feet, then relaunch. If they hadn't have done that, then that was going to be the last one, that one you saw. That was it. It was, was, it? It was really? basically cancelled, the show. Um, but then you get RTD back and we're into the Hooniverse, which takes us back to what you were saying about Whovians and stuff like that. It might not have been that. It might have been like, do you remember when Doctor Who Monthly did the um, convention special? Tom's on the front signing pictures. Yes. In America or somewhere. Yes. It I might do. be in the, ah, it was in one of them because it was, uh, they reproduced covers for the Whovian Times. Mm. That's right. where I first saw it. I know you used to have a dead anger about that word. I did. Mm. I don't now. I'm, no. I, I think it, it goes along with, because of course recently, in the past year, I've basically got rid of Twitter, or whatever it's called today. Oh, do you know what the, 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 the youth, do they still say that? Or is it just me? I think that's says? just what Janet Street Porter said on yeah. Death 2. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but... They call it Twix. It's not a Twix. I know it's not. I, I knew it would piss you off. Which is why I'm glad I remembered it this way. Why have they called it Twix? Because it's X. Twitter is now X. Twix. Americans call it Twix. They don't have the Twix. They don't have the context. Well, we can't call it that. They have Hershey bars. I don't like those. I've had those. They they taste of sick. They do. I don't like those. I like O'Henry's. I don't know what that means. Is that the builder from Faulty Towers in chocolate form? I don't want that. No, it's nice. It's, uh, I can't remember. Well, Cadbury's. What's wrong with that? Nothing, but it's America. It I know. Shouldn't be. I know it shouldn't be, but that's what it was. These I remember... are the people who, who mispronounce, you know, sort of Nestle and things, aren't they? I remember Nestles. It's not Nestles. Living in on. Vancouver. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Being like, I'm never smoking weed ever again. <clears throat> it's a new start. Yes. Hence that. Hmm. Monday. Yes. Right. There was this thing, like, not TripAdvisor, but it was something about, you know, when you go to a city, this is where you find this, this is where you find this. Is where you find yeah, it. yeah, yeah. So it's Hastings and Maine. I literally put my foot onto the block of Hastings, Hastings and Maine, and the guy was like, that. what's a bird? Yes. <laughs> so I got really binned and went to this little shop round the corner on Yale, Yale Street. Oh, I can't remember. It's a long time ago. Well, yes. Run by a chap who looked exactly like Deep Roy, which meant I had to keep going back to the shop. I would, yes. It was Deep Roy. Oh, that's fine. I've changed my opinion about America. Already. Exactly. Okay. Well, it's Canada. Oh, British, right. British Columbia. Oh, we're, we're oh. all right then. We're fine now. We're fine. Just anyway, said. so unfamiliar munch snacks. Yeah. I didn't know what I was looking at. Mm. I didn't know a Hershey bar, mm. but it said peanut on it, peanut butter. So I was like, no. No. And then I saw an O. Henry. And I got an O. Henry and a big bag of ketchup, Dutch windmill crisps, chips they call them. Sorry, ketchup flavoured. Mmm. You don't like ketchup crisps? 
I've never had ketchup crisps. You, I won't. What's the point? Because ketchup isn't a natural thing anyway, is it? It's a compound of various things, including a lot of sugar. Yes. Right. So you, you're, you're several steps That's away, right? So you go... Yeah, but you eat nice and spicy wheat crunch. No, but this isn't the point. No, the point is this. Right, so you've got crisps. Yes, okay. you have. Cheese and onion crisps. Yes. That's fine, because I know what cheese is and I know what onion is. Ah, but... I'm not saying they contain cheese and onion. However, very, very sore subject with me, the old cheese and onion crisps. Why? Because growing up, the colour, right... Yes, you know where I'm going with this. We're talking greens and blues. We're talking greens and blues, and they switched them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So now cheese and onions green and salt and vinegar's blue. Some of them. Oh, walkers. Oh. Square crisps aren't. And I'll tell you how I know this, because I bought a packet of a six-pack of square crisps the yeah. other day, not touching the salt and vinegar, because that's disgusting. Open the cheese and onion, it's the salt and vinegar. Yes. Colours are wrong. Yeah, Walkers did it. Oh, well, Walkers are part of the Frito-Lay International Corporation. So you go over to America, right? Yeah. And your bag of Lay's, mm. as they're called, is precisely bag this of... Lay's, Frito-Lay's. This is just sound. I know it is, but stay with me. The packet and the colour and everything are identical to Walkers. But where it says Walkers on ours, it says Lay's on theirs. And that's what they've done. They have ruined it. Clearly. They have, yeah. Because we know the colours of cheese and onion and salt and vinegar. Right, so are these just repackaged walkers? No, walkers are repackaged. No, 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 I can't have that. Well, they are. Really? Yes. It's a global corporation. I assumed walkers have been around since CRISPR invented. They were bought by the Frito. Oh, right, okay. Well, the the pedigree is British. Yeah, but it's about as British as a Triumph motorcycle is British now. Right. People buy the mark, you see. Yeah, I suppose. Yes, they do. Anyway, Doctor Who in crisps. Right, well, okay. Um, So, fandom. Yes. You were saying. So, I think my first encounter with fandom wasn't just with fandom. It was with something else I've grown to rather like. First, interest me strangely. Oh, yes, you'll see why. So, um, there used to be sort of these local groups of fans. Ah, I used to go to one. So, the Merseyside Local Group, uh, which was run by a lovely chap called Graham Wood, who's on on Twitter now. Um, And I messaged him a while ago to say, um, are you the Graham Wood who used to run the Merseyside Local Group? And it just came back, dot, dot, dot. Yes, why? (laughs) 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 Okay. Um, So... I went along to one of these things, thinking this will be people my age and that sort of thing. No. No, it wasn't. No, 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 no. Chaps. Chaps. It was predominantly older chaps, like I said. We say that, but thinking about it now, these older chaps would only have been in their 20s. Seemed a lot older. Uh, no, we could have had people in the 30s. All right, 20s, 30s. Okay, we'd have had that. I know what you mean, though. Yeah, so, but they seemed older. Anyway... I went along there, my, my God, God bless him, my granddad took me along, and it was at the Lord Nelson Hotel mm. in uh, behind Lime Street Station in Liverpool, uh, in one of the rooms up top there, and we went in there, and I'd seen bits, like you had, from the Five Faces and stuff like that, and in there they've got a big telly, proper big telly, and you're given various things as you go in, a fanzine, I didn't know what a fanzine was, given a fanzine and a running order for the day. We're showing all four episodes of The Mask of Mandragora. Wow. Um, And between episode one and two, why not have the first episode of The Aztecs? And I'm just like... What's this pre-VHS? So, 
This is played off VHS. Yeah. So what used to happen, of course, is there was a big trade because Australia would constantly show these programmes. So there was a network of people having them recorded in uh, Australia and sent over. I've got a few of those. Is it Channel 7? It, it is. Yeah, I've got, the de- I've got the demons like that. I've still got that cassette because mm. I just thought, I don't know, I'll just keep... I mean, I've shown it to you before. It's ha- like handmade box and everything. Yeah. So, but, yeah, I just thought, I don't know about you. Have you got rid of... Uh, all your VHS. Oh, they, they got destroyed. They got destroyed yeah. in a flood. I sold all of mine. Mm. I remember selling them all because I had them floor to ceiling in the loft. Mm. And I thought, right, DVD's coming out, blah, 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 blah. But I do feel the odd pang. I mean... I've still got some, right. So I've still yeah. got... The first one that came out, Revenge of the Cybermen. I've got that. I got that for my ninth birthday off my granddad, right? Still got that. £24.95. That's about 110 quid now. Yeah. So that was a hell of a Is present. Is that the one with the neon logo and Tom? I don't have the neon one. That was the very that first That was 74 99 yeah, wasn't it? I remember that being in the DWM. That's right. Re-released at 24.99, then it came out again at 9.99 and so on. But so I was given this for my ninth birthday. Didn't have a VHS player. No. Just needed it. Yeah. You know, actually needed to possess it. My violin teacher. <laughs> As I said to a Sophia, yes. I said... Yes, she had a VHS recorder. So I would go round, have my violin lesson, then immediately was stricken. I go, yeah, yeah, all right, go on, into the living room. Oh, Revenge man. of the Sidemen. Ah, it's impossible to imagine the excitement. Oh, it was lovely. But, so this first sort of like thing that I went to in the Lord Nelson Hotel, with all these episodes and all that, um, and we got through most of the day... And we got through the entire set list of all the episodes. And my granddad, I, I assumed he was loving it. And of course, he's thinking, oh, Christ, when's this going to end? Yeah. And it, I only knew that because it got to the end of the day. And I thought, this has been the best day of my life. And then they said, we've got time for one more. We're going to have a look at an episode of The Faceless Ones. And I looked at him and he just went, no, and stood up and walked out. Really? And that was it. He took as much as he could. But on the bus home, and this is where it comes to something else I rather like. On the bus home, on the 79, he's knackered because he's watched so much telly. Yeah. So he's sort of snoozing there. So I get the fanzine out. Thinking, this will be like Doctor Who magazine. It's not. It's not at all. There's a very dirty comic strip called Doctor Oho, drawn by someone from the Merseyside local group. It wasn't artistically brilliant. Right. Um, but I found that very funny, and it had a swear word in it. Uh, it had bloody hell, which I thought was just, oh, I'm going to have to hide this when I yes. get in. I didn't have to hide it for that. I had to hide it for something else, because I turned the page, and they'd gone, here's a collage of Doctor Who's female assistants in other roles where they happen to not have their tops on. Right. Right, bazooms. No hanky-panky in the TARDIS. So the first that I saw of ladies' boobs were Debbie Watling's. Not a bad set to begin with. Lying on her back, looking up at someone. I think it was a still from Take Me High. And that leads to this lovely, lovely moment, right? Which has ended up on the internet, and I didn't give permission. We'll talk about how. Oh, I. Okay, so you come forward to about, oh, when was this? About eight years ago, nine years ago. And I was stage managing on a little convention that was held in the village. Um, and one of the guests is Debbie Watling, right? 
Didn't talk about that. No. Didn't mention that. No. Your knocks, my dear. Well, they're awakening for me. Yes. No. No, I didn't do that. What? But you see, what happened was, when uh, when my grandfather passed away, um, I was very close to turning seventeen, and with terrible timing, uh, it ended up with this thing where I saw my granddad in the chapel of rest on the fifth of May. My birthday's the sixth, and his funeral was on the seventh. Shit timing. However, what helped was this. Uh, I used to go in, and he was really ill towards the end of his time. He was proper, you know, just a shell of a man that I knew. And I'd go in there and just talk, just to fill the silence, just not to... So I didn't cry, basically. And I'd go on about, oh, there's this uh, at school, and that's happened, and this. And then I told him all about the fact that Tomb of the Cybermen had been recovered and was coming out on VHS. Just one of the many things I told him. So... Chapel of Rest on the 5th, my birthday on the 6th, didn't really want to celebrate much. Mm. Phone rings, and it's W. H. Smith's on Allerton Road, telling me that my video is there. <coughs> well, I haven't got a video, okay. So I walked down in just this daze, and I went there, and there's Tomb of the Cybermen, and it turned out what my granddad had done, this must only have been about four days before he died. From the Royal in Liverpool, he'd phoned up uh, W. H. Smith's, paid for a copy and said phone him on this day oh, man. Um, and it's got that lovely scene in it where they talk about Victoria losing her dad yeah. and Troughton says about how the memories aren't always going to be a sad one and you can conjure these people back up and they just sleep at the back of your mind and that day to hear those words it felt like that programme was genuinely talking to me it was what I needed to hear so I told Debbie Watling that and I said, that day, that just felt like you and Pat were talking to me from 1967. And she looked at me and she went, well, we were. Of course we were. How lovely. And then she just paused and she went, it's all magic if you believe it is. Yeah, I'm with her. And turned and walked out. Yeah. And I put that on uh, Twitter just after she died, that little story. And now you can get memes, I've noticed, of it's all magic if you just believe it. Debbie Watling. Like, No! Who's done that? That's appalling. I was disgusted. I think there's loads of sort of bits of Troughton's dialogue that's quite philosophical. I wonder how much of that was him. Well, Troughton wasn't very good at sticking to the script. Exactly. Um, which infuriated John Pertwee. He would be off book, but to the letter. Yeah, um, but you can imagine that with Pertwee. You, he was very workmanlike. Absolutely. So it's like word for word for word. That script was nailed into his head. Troughton comes in to do a guest spot, and it's just a rough approximation. He's not giving Pertwee the cues or anything like that. I thought you knew the lines well, around the edges. That's yeah. So, I, th- I suspect a certain amount was worked out in rehearsal. I do wonder. I mean, it seems like a very cosy relationship with him, Fraser, and Debbie Watling, doesn't it? And that, that When you see photos of him having cups of tea and all that business... Yeah. I, I do think that that was a tight team. Oh, God, yeah. You know, Absolutely. And, and I do wonder if, you know, they did improvise. Not on camera, because they wouldn't have lasted five minutes. No, but I, oh, God, no. But I think certainly in rehearsal, there must have been a fair bit of that and trying stuff out. Did you not go through the purge then? The purge? The purge. Go on, what's the purge? So when I was about 15, and you, you know, get into music and ladies and things like that... I was kind of right, you know, what's that 
line in the Bible. When I was a child, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Yeah, yeah. So I went through that and I sold everything. Oh, God. Absolutely everything that I had. You know, I mean, back then, all I had toys-wise was the Souchard chocolate egg. You know, the one with the fire coming out of Davison's penis. penis. Yes. Uh, I had that. And I used to get uh, these ice cream things with uh, the bubbly in the bottom, the little rocket ships. Oh, yes, yeah. You'd have them, but if you filled them with, pl- turn them upside down, filled them with plaster of Paris, making sure to put matchsticks in at the appropriate point, you had a Dalek. You know, you used it as a mold. You'd paint it up because they had dots all down them. I mean, nothing as impressive, and we need to bring up why exactly we're here and whose amazing world this is. Um, so I had things like that. They went in the bin, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I had a Palatoy Red Dalek. I had that. Got it off Ashton Market. Begged for it. And I think it was something like 15 quid. It was a lot of money. Um, but I, I, yeah, I just went through a purge. But there's one thing I kept. And that's my Doctor Who and the Daleks. The there David Whitaker uh, novelisation. I kept it and it's still backed in Fablon. Oh which I'm currently doing my bathroom door. Fablon has become a, a recent return visitor, yes. if you like, to my world. This I got for Easter, I would say 82. Right. Um, and my nan was always ill at Easter. Mm. It seemed to be a tradition. Oh, okay. You know, so she'd go bed. Yeah. I'd carry the telly upstairs. Mm. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, see, there you go, there's the Irish thing. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, that weekend, I sat in the rickety chair mm. while she was in bed, telly on, and read this. Yeah. Whilst eating my own weight in cream eggs. Um, but, and so I decided I was, I was going to keep this, because mm. there's a good memory with it. However, with the purge mm. comes the refueling, if you like. I then, with the eBay and stuff like that, mm. and I just bought entire collections of people. Yes. And so I, I'm i happy to say the stocks... Replenish. Absolutely. No, and that's beyond good. replenish. I didn't have a purge. You didn't have a purge? Didn't have a purge, purge tweet. Didn't have a purge tweet, no. no. I, I kept the lot. Um, it was... I've got my 20th anniversary special as well, also backed in Fablon. Excellent. Felt I had to keep that. Yeah, no, I, I, I kept uh, just about everything. Yeah. Um, over the time I think certainly it's because of the books this is one that I, I had from a long this is the War Games novelisation they're the mad that mad period of dodgy target covers yes it's for me the books are what, why I read now and I think if there's if there's a greater injustice I can't think of it is the fact that Terence Dix did not get an honour a knighthood or something. 100%. Because not just for his Doctor Who books, which he churned out oh, at a rate of 125 knots. pages. Yes, yeah, done. Yeah. There you go. There's a new one. Get it down, yeah. Um, but so many other books as well. I mean, that man's a legend. Oh, a, a complete and utter workhorse. Yeah. The output, the volume, the series that he mm, did. It's amazing. But what I what I really like, this, this one I love. I, I, I read The War Games several times before I ever saw it, and I loved this. Written by Malcolm Hulk, yeah. which is something that's fascinating now when we're looking back on all these uh, old times and people as well, which is you suddenly find things out about them. And that made me think recently, 
Because these days, of course, we're, we're very judgmental. If we discover that a certain person votes this way, oh, then, I see. Oh, we don't like them anymore. Now, well, back Hulk, then, Hulk was a, a communist. Big, yeah, yeah, yeah. Card-carrying member of the Communist Party, Malcolm Hulk. Who so wrote he, he, that. he wrote the book for capitalist book company. And this is it. Yes. Mm. Um, but you've got Malcolm Hulk with that, and then you read about Douglas Canfield, stunning director, who was rather right-wing. And immediately I thought, ooh. And then I thought, but is Tully's dead good? Who gives a toss? Yeah. I don't think people gave a toss in those days. Um, however. Yes. Yes, going back to this. so the Because you didn't purge. I didn't purge. You didn't purge. And I'm about to show you two right. things I didn't purge. And these are, these are lovely. So first is, of all. Oh, sorry. So that isn't the reissue. No. Oh. Oh, no. This is the, this is an original. This is the LP. How much did I cover that at oh. the end of the show? You know, where they'd show you BBC records and tapes? Yes. And that was just like, what is that? Yeah. This was a Christmas present. Oh, what a crimbo oh, present that man. Now then, so this was a, this is six episodes of Doctor Who boiled down to an hour. And it's not vinyl. Common or Garden back then. That. You never saw a copy of that. Never. Anywhere. Never That will have that. been ordered in. Oh, yeah. So I got this, and it's it's scratched to buggery. But Good. I, I it know should the scratches. Be. I it know them be. all. Um, so I got this, and then it was terribly scratched, and we were going away on holiday, caravan, somewhere to the south coast or something. <laughs> what about this? So I don't know why he did it, but my grandfather again, probably being a bit of a sod, thought, I know what would be funny, and he bought me the cassette. So then I'm sat in the car, and we're heading down to Dorset, and I discovered that if I went on enough, they'd put that on to shut me up. So my poor dad's driving down to Dorset whilst listening to Peter Miles being exterminated. Yes. Wonderfully. Oh, that's... He was a wonderful jazz singer. Do you know that? Yeah. And he released uh, songs with Dusty Springfield, who was one of his best mates. There's recordings of them singing together, and he's brilliant. So you've got that one. And yes. The other one which took... Which this uh, this isn't a reissue, but I didn't get this until a lot later, is they did Doctor Who and the Pescatons. Yes. An original uh, story. Now then, okay, mm. I, I'll tell you why I love this. And this is about uh, these giant shark-like creatures from the Thames, and they come out and just basically rip people to pieces, and it's rather horrific. What gets me there is... You know, the design idea could be strong. I mean, the monster should be completely on the far right. <laughs> like Dougie Camfield. Yes. Um, and, you know, with a bit of finesse and airbrushing around the Westminster clock, it would look good. It would, it would. But, nevertheless, I loved it. Uh, but well, you didn't give a shit about the I camera. didn't care. I didn't no. care at all. Couldn't get hold of a copy myself. But in the library near me, they had it on cassette. And I was delighted, and I just basically kept taking it out until one day I had to take it out and review it. And they were, someone's ordered this. It was mine. What? Turns out it wasn't mine. So I oh, there you go. When can I have it back? In a week. Fair enough. So I waited a week, and I went and got it back. And I thought, I'll have a listen to this. And there's a wonderful moment the first time that you hear this pescaton creature you know, this big, and it does a roar, but a proper roar! It's like a bloke. It's obviously yeah. a bloke. Michael Kilgariff. That sort of thing. <clears throat> yeah. Which, I loved that moment, this, with Tom Bacon racing under it. Wonderful roar. Except that in the week, when I didn't have it, someone had taken the tape out. Someone covered over the tan on the cassette, 
and where that roar was was a long elongated fart. <gasps> I was furious. I was so cross. Yeah, you got someone who was obviously taking a leaf out of Joe Orton's book. Yes, I think so, yeah. What a bastard. But, absolutely. But, um, yeah, no, so, oh, so I, I didn't purge. Off it goes. Oh, yeah, no, okay. So I, I didn't purge. No, I kept no. I, I had lots and lots of ex-library books, mainly because it would get to when they were going to withdraw them. Mm. And they would tell me, they were just like, well, you know, you may as well buy this. Yeah. Because you've had it out about a hundred times. Yeah. Um, but my little library where I grew up in Haydock, still there, the building. Mm. Uh, it's amazing. Again, such cliche how small these places oh, are. Oh, God, yeah. But it was like a, a sort of quite attractive looking sort of... Uh, you remember Buckminster Fuller used to design all those buildings? American chap. He used to design all those buildings that were all in harmony. Yeah. yeah. So it sort of filtered through into the mainstream as kind of glass and steel structures, didn't it? Mm. Um and it's one of them. It's like a pyramidy toppy thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and I got so many books out of there. I remember getting uh, the Power of Crawl and the Nightmare of Eden. I remember getting those two books. They were brilliant. The mm. covers on them, the um, Andrew Skilleter covers, lovely, just great. Yeah, just great. But I mean, it it was a great period for the show, wasn't it? The late seventies. I mean, when you read that Target book, you see just how much money publishers were willing to chuck at it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but I mean, so I mean, fairly and squirrely. I mean, Tom must look at what's just about to blossom with Doctor Who, mm. and he must feel such pride. Oh God, yeah. I mean, it was bloody big, uh, it, you know, before him, but he just, you know, you've got that amazing synchronicity mm. of an actor mm. a role yeah. the times just everything comes together and it's perfect it is so here's the question with all that we've in the past on this show we've isolated the moments when Brian Blessed mm. and Robert Hardy went mad yes when did Tom Baker go mad because by 1979 he's just having a laugh yeah I would say it coincides with Graham Williams. Mm. And I think Williams, I think, um, I don't know who said it, but a lot of people have said that he was intimidated by Tom. Yeah. And I think that sort of first year, he probably kept his nose clean, blah, 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 blah. Still Tom being Tom, but it weren't the Tom Baker show. And I suppose then you get Douglas Adams coming in with his Hitchhiker-style humour as script editor. Yeah. So Tom can play. I think that... Uh, probably, I think that um, I think for me where would I say it goes off the rails I would say about season 17 mm. he's really in charge there. Yeah, and I think that the JNT appointment because mm. he does a great job of reining him in I mean oh, you watch does. season 18 and it's just like whoa I mean I love season 18 mm. Are you, is it, do you not like Warriors game? no I, I do I think at the time I just found it, the, the tonal shift, I found really confusing. Really difficult to get my head around, sort of how much it had changed, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, for, for sure. And that, and the introduction, even though it was a uniform, mm. it had been always since yeah. day one. But I think the question marks on the collars, because mm. that's um, at the start of the season, season 18, he's wearing brogues and socks, isn't he? That's right, yeah. And then he gets in the buccaneer boots. Yes. And that's such a great costume. That's such a good look. It's great, but the question mark, he, he gets away with them because he's got the open neck shirt yeah. and whatnot. But the 
question marks on the collars. I mean, when you see where that ultimately ended up with Mackay's tank top. And the umbrella, no! Question mark umbrella. Oh, I liked so... them. Oh, no. I well, know. You were obviously a child I, well, at the time. I, I, you know what, what got on me tits there? What? Is that what you had was a series which, because Michael Grade didn't bloody like it, mm. suddenly it got talked down. Oh, the ratings are this, the rate, and it's like no, the ratings. I are think Mackay was an element in the purge. Really? Yeah, I do. Is that because you watched his first couple and they are? I didn't watch them. I was too loyal to Colin Baker in the same way that I didn't watch a very peculiar practice because Davison had abandoned me. No. Uh, no, no, no. You left me, motherfucker. So it's just like, no, I'm not watching your program. Yeah. Nice to see. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, when you're a kid, you have some strange ideas about loyalties. But the Colin Baker thing, because I'm sure you did the same sat there and tuned in on your bloody medium wave or whatever to uh, get... Um, slip back. Slip back, thank you. Um, slip back, yeah, so it was in the middle of some shit, some shim shim shit. It's in the middle of some <laughs> shit. What you had? Me, oh my. Okay, you had three yeah. hours of Radio 4. Cack. And it was taken over. Wacky. That's it, wacky. Tommy Boyd. Something like that, and it was yeah. called Pirate Radio 4. Yeah. That's what they called it, and it was three hours. No. And within three hours, you had two ten-minute episodes. But they didn't tell you where they were. No. So my mum wasn't able to listen to Billy Butler, which caused, you know, some problems. You had to sit there ready to record it for three bloody hours. And then when you did get it, it was like... There was that. It was really bad reception. Where I lived, it was... Oh, it wasn't great No doubt you got the butler to go on the roof with that. Well, he did that. No, but I do recall one thing, which was, uh, again, I keep going back to him. God love him, my granddad. Uh, Again, one of those caravan holidays. We're going off somewhere. Slip back song. (laughs) Can I stay at home? No. So, very clear instructions written for my poor granddad who sat there. For three hours of Pirate oh, Radio God 4. God bless that man. So he could record the two episodes, and he did. Utterly dreadful. Valentine Dial, though, is your lead yeah. villain in that. Yeah, oh, that is lovely. Lovely. So, yeah, I, I mean, so it was that, really. I never gave Mackay a chance. Mm. I mean, Mackay, again, he's sort of... Now he's returning to the role, you know, mm. and has done a million big finish, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but even in the TV movie, he was... There was just something about... I mean... I, this is the chap who, you know, was part a big component of the Ken Campbell Roadshow. Absolutely, yeah. But he even says, I fell over and they said, well, that's very good, so, you know, can you do more of that? It detracted yeah. from his performance. Well, that's, you've got the costume, you've got him fucking about. We've also got another problem here, which is you've got Michael Grade's edict, which is make it funny. I know, I know, I know. I so know. it's like, how the hell do you make it funny? Well, we've got a clown. Do your clown stuff. Yes. Now, yeah. What then happens is you get the next season, season 25, which suddenly all you know, the production values have come up. It's like they're taking it seriously. And the last series, I stand by the fact that those 14 episodes are beautiful. Ghost like where the costumes toned down. And the lighting doesn't look like blankety blank. Exactly. And yeah, no, I honestly, ghostlight, yeah. Curse Still, of Fenric. Curse, Curse of Fenric. Think. Dodgy masks. Dodgy masks, but nevertheless, I would say that's not just for the time. I don't think that's good Doctor Who. You've got John Hallam in Ghostlight, haven't you? Yeah. John Hallam was so good. Oh, he's magnificent. So, so good. But then 
the cast that you've got then in Curse of Henrik, Dinsdale Lander, Alfred Lynch, <sighs> Dinsdale Lander. Nicholas Parsons proving, no, actually, I do do straight acting, and he does it bloody well. Yes. Suddenly you've got a cast like that, and it's period piece. And it's not particularly <laughs> the music. It's it, the technology creating It's the technology. The music. You know, it was very sort of like, Bond you know, it looked like a Nana Cherry video or something, the titles. Mm. And then you kind of add the, the, the music in it and it was just like, oh. But then with those titles, first ever CGI title sequence in Awful. the country. First ever though. I don't care. It was shit. Nearly 40 Give years me ago. Sid I thought Sutton. it was very good. Give me Sid Sutton and his transparency. But you had to move with the times a bit. Mm. And you're talking about a process. I know from reading about Oliver Elms was the man who uh, actually came over there and programmed it or whatever. Yeah. And he pointed out that because of the tech they were using, sometimes one frame yeah. would take 24 hours to render. Yeah, they should still be doing it now and got Sid Sutton in. Oh. No, I, I didn't like that, but it was it was part of a trend in television that I didn't like. Mm. You know, Sunday mornings were going from sort of Wurzel and Little House on the Prairie and Jack Hargreaves mm. to having like like you know nineteen year olds running around shouting and they called them TV presenters. Didn't it was like all that. going that it way. It was a bit, yeah. you know. So Telly had all that, and it was just like you know. So it was part of all that kind of jive bunny crap for me, and you know that what was it called? PWL Records, Pete Waterman and that. Oh God, yes. There's a sort of a kind of really khaki gloss that the late 80s has yeah you know but I do I do get it I think that last season's got some, some oh it's got some, some decent stuff. stuff in it but yeah. I mean and of course something that the programme's always got which is just the most fabulous thing is this the TARDIS well it's yeah the police box the metropolitan police box now I have tried for years to work out what it is about this that is so pleasing. iconic it's the same feeling that you get when you look at a proper red pillar box. It's that. But I'll tell you what. Go on. Because if we're thinking about these things yes. here, then there's somebody we could talk to. The man whose very workshop we are in right now. We could do that, couldn't we? For the we first could. time in yes. 110 episodes. We're going to have a guest. We're going to have a guest. Wow. So look at this. So we're sat next to each other. We're yeah. not actually just in separate buildings even. No. This is like Richard and Judy. It is just like Richard and There's Judy. For a special reason, and that's because after 110 of these or so, yes, yes, we've yes. got our first guest, and here we are. This is Mike. Mike Hi. Rymel. Hello, Mike. Hello, Welcome, hello. Mike. Hello, this hello. is Mike's wonderful workshop, obviously. It, it is. Um, and this is what, well, one of the many things that you do. You build, well, TARDIS, you build everything. What yes, do, what? Da Daleks. Yeah. Um, Davros. A, a K9 recently. Oh, a K9. Yes. Yes. Lovely. A commission job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. Lovely. But most of all, because we're surrounded by pieces of the wonderful police box. Yes. Yeah. Iconic thing. What is it? Do you think about the police box? Because they've been around for a long time, haven't they? So, what is it about they the police have. box that sort of captivates us and makes us go, "Oh, that's a fascinating design." I don't know. I think it's just an iconic shape hmm. um, the proportions are I suppose the same as a red telephone box hmm. only slightly bigger yeah. in all directions um, which everybody loves the red telephone box anyway yeah. hmm. um, but I think the police box is, is just a wonderful design um, and when Mackenzie Trench designed it he was the 
the architect for the Metropolitan Police mm. back in the day and just out of his head it came up with this wonderful concept yeah the very first ones to be put on the streets in London were actually made of wood mm. so the BBC Doctor Who can just about get away with keeping saying it's a wooden box right. but it annoys me intensely <laughs> the first few were wood mm. but the Met decided they weren't going to last so they then put out tenders for same design but in different materials um, sort of cast iron was wood and cast iron and then what became the the real one was concrete sections mm. and they were prefabricated and some of them were assembled on site and some of them were assembled off site and I was really lucky in the 1960s because we lived in Liverpool and I thought I'm never going to see one of these that live, <laughs> live down in London and then just very luckily our family went and visited my uncle who lived in Hounslow and I thought oh, there's a slight possibility might just see one so we drove down and as we turned the corner standing in all its blue black glory was one of these a metropolitan police box and I spent most of the week that we were supposed to be on holiday either standing looking at it and trying to draw it very badly and eventually I took one photograph which is there and that is just behind the the box you can see Hounslow Heath mm. before it was uh, built upon to uh, some extent. So when did they first appear on the streets? 30s? Uh, yeah, I think the first, either 36 or 37 was mm. the first iteration. And the idea was that they were deployed in a sort of ring around central London to start with. And the idea was that not exactly line of sight from one box to another, but on the beat of each policeman he would walk from one to the next one as part of his beat and if headquarters wanted to contact him they pressed a switch in police headquarters and the top light flashed which was actually white not blue right. um, which is a mistake people make right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other side of it was that, as it says on the phone panel, free for the use of the public, mm. who didn't have telephones then. It was a whole new technology, and they had mm. to. Um, they had exhibitions of a mock mock up of a box to teach the public how to open the door and pick up the phone, which immediately contacted the headquarters of the local police station. Wow. So, um, and so I mean, it is essentially though. It's a mini police station, isn't it? Because oh, it is. You can use it to work in, but you can also, of course, you can rock up, uh, lock up Rongans. Yeah, or uh, rock up Longans. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It was a temporary cell, mm. so it had to be fairly bomb-proof, as it were. Um, although there are stories of naughty people smashing all the windows in who were locked up inside yeah. mm. as revenge mm. um, but if you read in the history of the police boxes the police men who had to deal with them and kind of live in them temporarily were not all that wild about them in the summer it would be like a greenhouse mm. and in the winter 
Yeah. You can imagine the concrete yeah, was yeah. cold and icicles and condensation and you know the powers that be said oh well you've got a nice little stool and a bench you can go in there in your lunch break have your sandwich and write your reports which you know <laughs> didn't yeah. go down terribly well and they had i think the first ones didn't have any heating in at all and then i think they put about a a five watt heater in yeah. uh, which did absolutely nothing yeah mm -hmm. and again having read some of the reports uh, clever electrically orientated policemen would sometimes run extra cables from various places to try to put a bigger heater in ah. which usually blew the entire system yeah. much yeah. to the annoyance of the gpo who had to maintain all the wiring so the gpo they're responsible for the communications and the wiring and the police are responsible for the building that's it yeah right. yeah the the met would have the box installed and then they'd call on the gpo who would come and lay in the wires and the telephone and all the necessary gubbins uh, to go with it so yeah so who came up with the idea of using it do we know in doctor who as 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 we don't know it seems lost in in the history it's um, a genius the, move it is absolutely um, I mean, you get different stories. I mean, the favourite one is there was a prop left from Dixon of ah, Doc Green or yeah. something. Um, now, whether that kind of... I'd love it to be true. Well, I would, but it isn't the Dixon of Doc... No, they had their own box, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they made their own yeah. for the series. Um, which, if you've ever seen both versions of The Unearthly Child, the first Doctor Who yeah. episode ever... The uh, the sort of um, untransmitted one, the police box is, is fairly tidy and clean. It, it looked really nice. If you see the one that went out, they've just thrown buckets of mud at it, and it's filthy and horrible. Um, so the painters and whatnot, I think, got a bit carried away. But as to who really thought of it is anybody's guess. And I think that even better than that, whoever thought of making it bigger inside than out. From memory, I think Sidney Newman was into the secret garden. You know, there's a door yeah. there. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. And so that was his idea that you open somewhere and it's a portal into another world. Yeah. Lion, witch and the wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yes, as well. yes. Yeah. I think also the fact that, you know, you mentioned it is there as a refuge for people. That's kind of on brand, isn't it, for Doctor Who? Yeah. yeah. And the four doors are... It, it's a very mysterious object because yeah. every side has a door. Is that...? No. Ah. The ones like the one I saw in Hounslow were they had a the panelling all the way around. Yeah. Some of them that were specifically located against a wall uh, apparently just had a blank oh. concrete back to them. But what's lovely, I think, and I've just thought of it now as you were both talking about the panelling. Mm. So the panelling does nothing. No. It's just the yeah. to look nice, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And when we were talking yesterday, as well, we were saying about that, that moment with steam trains, where that aesthetic, that beauty was just done away with. It, it became unnecessary. We need yeah. to think about just making this work. Yes. And suddenly that these sleek, beautiful machines that have got personalities all of their own, they become ugly. Yeah. And, and we don't have... We don't have that. No, no, no. Awareness, no, no, really. It's no, sad. No, it's really sad. I, I did um, 
it's a few years back, I did a, a, a talk for one of the local history groups um, on police posts and boxes. Mm. If, if you didn't have the space for a box, you could have a police post. And there are still some around in London yes, with yeah. the same panel on. The very interesting one to me, which I, I must go and see if it's still there, in Bath, because it's, you know, all the beautiful Georgian buildings. Mm. One of them is just, it looks like um, a stone something or other. And that was actually the police telephone box to fit in with the architecture. Right. Uh, and I, I don't know whether it's still there or, or whether it's just literally been kind of blocked in. I love that. So... It makes an it's essentially yes. yeah. change its look ever so slightly, but it actually yeah. can blend yes. in. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's so when when did they vanish from the streets? When are we talking about? Right, well, um, to go back to my story about the Hounslow box, mm. which was, I think I saw it, it was either the end of 1965 or early 66 that we went to visit. And as I say, I took that, one and only photograph. This is back in the day when your little camera took eight fairly small black and white images, which cost quite a lot of pocket money to actually have developed and printed. Mm. Um, so I took that picture and my uncle, bless him, uh, uttered the immortal words, why are you wasting a photograph on that? There are hundreds of them. And they're not going anywhere. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And by 1969, 69-70, with the advent of police radios and cars with radios in mm. police cars, they basically became redundant. And they were a liability. So the Metropolitan Police just employed gangs of people with sledgehammers to smash them to pieces yeah. so I think the last one if I remember rightly went in about 1970 or thereabouts and they were going to they, they were going to use it in Legopolis yeah 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 the Barnet Bypass the Barnet Bypass yeah and they took so long to get it organized that when they finally arrived it had been destroyed yeah. and removed yeah. So hence the the props that had to be used instead. So which is the most authentic prop? Uh, the most authentic is actually the Peter Cushing right. film box. Mm. Yeah, that is be. very very close to an original Metropolitan yeah. Police box and looks lovely. I mm. think it's terrific. ah and and the and the click of the door yes. as it opens and shuts. Yeah. Something about that that's yes. satisfying. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I I still want to get to the bottom of why they decided in Doctor Who to make the door open inwards, whereas the Met boxes yeah. all opened outwards. Yeah. Which is quite sensible. Yeah. Because if you've got somebody or something in there, opening the door inwards mm, that it, opens you up, doesn't it's in, it? Well it's in the way. Yeah. It, you know, if somebody stands behind the door and you open the door and hit them. Mm. Whereas if you open it outwards you can have a clear. So we view. don't know that. We don't no, know why. No, it, it was just one of these arbitrary decisions, I suppose. And, you know, somebody made it. They were used to making doors for houses that open that way and not outwards. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, very few front doors in yeah. this country open outwards. Mm. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's just that kind of yeah. lack of knowledge, isn't it? Yeah, you know? maybe it's yeah. that. Here's the door. <coughs> Hang it. Yeah, right. yeah. Hinges there. Yeah. Opens inwards. Yeah. 
Well, it's too late now. We're about to film it, yeah. so that's it. <laughs> As always with Doctor Who. Yeah. 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 They're, they're beautiful things. They are wonderful things. And this one was made for your birthday. Oh, oh yes. it was. Yes, yes. Um, my son, Gavin, um, for my 60th birthday, had this commissioned. And it's a one-sixth scale model of the Hounslow box, even with the windows opening on the side. Yeah. Um, and that was <laughs> that was the slippery slope then because as soon as I kept looking at that and thinking, oh, I'd love to have one of those. Mm. So um, that started me building the first one. It, I, I left it about a year mm. thinking about it, and then I started in earnest making one. <laughs> and how many have there been so far? Well, this one lurking behind will be number five, I think. You know that the the one that's on your credits is mm. the one that lives outside, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's that's as close as I can make it to an authentic metropolitan police box. Yeah. The others I've made were slightly smaller to take to conventions and charity events and things. Mm. So um, just because it's so big, as you know, yes, <laughs> full Fantastic. size. Yeah. It's yeah. an absolutely magnificent beast. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for letting us use this place. It's absolutely, it's just an Aladdin's cave, isn't yeah. it? It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, and, thank uh, you. I, I look forward to seeing this uh, episode. So um, do we. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what it looks like. Yeah. And, and carry on with the good work, because well, I thank you. look forward to seeing it every week when it comes on. That's really thank you very much. Great. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Cheers. Thanks, Cheers. Mike. Bye-bye. It's buggered off. There you go. Right, best go and sit back down. Best dad. So there you go. Yeah, amazing. Iconic. Iconic. And what a place this is. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? To actually, you know, be in a workshop with someone who just makes this stuff. Well, it's kind of like a cosmic Jack Hargreaves. It is, really, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, Mike, Mike, for all of his amazing wizardry, he couldn't have solved one problem. I think you will remember. Go on. Okay, Christmas, 1981. Are you on about the Weather Hill transmitter? Winter Hill. Winter Hill. I always get that wrong. Yeah. Winter Hill transmitter. Winter Hill. It was the bad weather, not... It was bad weather. Well, that was a great, great winter, though. We had proper winters. We had a proper winter. It was a lovely cold winter, and I sit down, six and a half years old, to watch K9 and company with Liz Sladen and K9 and the bloody Winter Hill transmitter. I remember that as well. I remember, but I, I wouldn't swap it, though, for the experience of living through it. I mean, it snowed and snowed and it snowed. It did, it did. And I cried and cried and was demanding that the BBC were phoned and nobody phoned them. Well, there was that. And also I'd got a, a rally grifter, a red one, oh, okay. which I cherished. Yeah. Um, until my mum did her usual thing of giving it our Gareth when I was in work with all my action men and shit. No. Oh, don't like talking about don't it. Don't like that. Um, and I couldn't go out on that. Because of the weather. Oh, right. So even though I was denied my grifter yeah. for, I don't know, it seemed like months. Yeah. You know, probably wasn't. Yeah. Um, and K9 and company, I wouldn't swap it for the no. experience of living through that winter. It was glorious. It was a good winter. It was and, proper. And mate. we got to see K9 company on a repeat the, the next year. It was the next year. week. Oh, was it the next oh, year? It was the next year we had to, to wait. I was not happy. But Did yeah. you get the annual? 
Yes, I got the canine annual. I, I assume annual. that would be a yearly thing. That survived the purge as well. There we go. Because my mum paid an awful lot of money for that out the paper shop. Mm. It, I don't know why it was dearer, mm. but it just was. I tell you what, annuals wise though, the 1982 one that's Tom, you know, in full circle with a picture of uh, Peter Davison out of All Creatures. Oh. That annual, and I, I've got, I, I rebought it. I mm. didn't keep that one. And it's standard world distributors shit annual. It's yeah. shit. Yeah. But all the artwork is based on stills from all creatures, isn't it? Of yes. Peter. But there's something about that annual, mm. that winter, um, all of it mm. that's just sort of enmeshed. Because I didn't have a video recording, obviously, of Legopolis, but no. I'd recently saw it. I mean... If Three Doctors went out Nov 23rd, mm. I'm guessing that uh, Legopolis will have... Because I'm sure they did Carnival first and then Three Doctors. Yeah, they did, I think. And then you had Legopolis, mm -hmm. right? So that would have been weeks, mm. only weeks before Christmas yeah. that I saw that. Yeah. Um, so that entire, you know, again, and I'm I'm labouring it a bit, that psychogeography thing. No, no, absolutely. Um, I remember... Just the the amount of snow, just the the Christmas tree going, you know, mm. all those things, because you know you sort of in your head. I mean, I'm sure you did this yourself, as all people should. Mm. But going out, moonlit snow, mm. it, it's just and the, and the acoustics are completely different because totally. everything's wrapped in snow. Yeah. So you go out there, and the sound of the world is different. If you go out in the um, you know, in the moonlight, mm. you can actually see the stuff sparkling. Yeah. You know, and it's because it's cold, because the sun's gone down. Yes. Mm. Top tip. Um, it's icing over, so as you're walking, it's crunching. Mm. And there's something about that and having to do things like serve midnight mass, which I did that year, going out to serve the mass, and mm. the excitement of Christmas and the weather, and oh, mate, that was a Christmas. No, you know, and was. and... I'm not meaning to sound glib and I'm not meaning to sort of try for sympathy because I don't want nor need any, but I think that the actual, you know, the povertyness of it adds to it. Really. I think so. You know what I mean? Because my mum did, like, you know, <laughs> pull the cork out mm. to buy that annual. The Rally Grifter was bought on the weekly out of the Great Universal Catalogue, you yeah. know? So there's all that in it. Don't get me wrong, there was screaming and shouting all through oh. the festive period. Yeah. Because it was a house full of women. Yes. So daily occurrence would be sort of scissors whistling past your head as our cat would throw a purr at me mum that an ornament would fly across the room. Right. You know, that's why the arrival of the council workmen was such a breath of fresh air. There were no men around. Ah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just mad. It was just mad. Two sisters in the 20s. Well, it's like Patrick McNee, isn't it? He was raised by women. But, uh, but these were crazy yeah. women in their 20s. Terrifying. Hmm. Terrifying. It was, it was, but it was all directed at each other. I was like, that. <laughs> you die for each other? Why do you want constantly bicker? But anyway, that's no, family, that isn't it? But yeah, so, um, yeah, that winter, mm. I can't speak highly enough of it. How do we get a rerun? How do we get them? Well, we need be... some snow. I haven't had decent snow for years. Yeah. I'd like decent snow. I don't think you'd get it out here on the peninsula. Well, we, mm, I mean, we get it and then it goes very quickly. But because I, I wake up very early mm. every day, so if there's been a snowfall, I'm first out. And this year, if there is one, I should be first out, but with a dog. I love getting up early in the morning. It's honest to God. 
I get up in the morning mm. and literally I spring out of bed mm. happy. Yeah, oh, I've never been able to just lounge in bed, never. Oh, I have. Really? I did a good two decades lounging in bed. I can't do it. If I'm awake, that's it. Maybe it's guilt with me. Maybe I need to crack on. Could be. Yeah, it's it's a strange feeling mm. to, to feel like that. Because uh, they tell you that after a certain age, nothing changes about your personality, don't mm. they? You say it's all set in stone. Yeah. Rubbish. It's meant to be set in stone by the age of seven. Yeah. Well, f yeah, I mean, formative. We're going to talk about Piaget. Boo. He, he yeah. would claim that those formative years are when our characters form. And I do agree with that for the most part. But mm. I don't Did you ever have that feeling where to do the exact opposite of what you used to do and to, to get into things you didn't used to like becomes very exciting. Oh, God, yeah. What we should do is, uh, to bring it back to what we're here to talk about, yes. there's, uh, I've got two other little things. Ooh, yeah. right. Um, so first of all, look at uh, I've this. got that. This picture. But so there you go. Got it. TARDIS in a stone circle. However, maybe what Mike could do in his best Tom Baker voice could read oh. out what was written on it. To Paul, help Tom Baker. <laughs> that would have been when he was doing his uh, book. That's right, yeah. And um, the reason, as he said, the reason I'm going to put it up in the sky is because really God is the only part left for me to play. That's why it's signed there. So, so we've got that one. And then the other one, and this is lovely. This, is, this is my nicest thing possibly in the world. Wow. So um, Liz Slayton died, uh, who played lovely Sarah Jane Smith. God, she was a good actress. Oh, yes. Uh, a Scouse girl. Yes. Went to Mospitz Lane School where I went. Yes. Um, oh, I see. There's a pattern. Oh, there's a pattern. Um, however, like then when she died, of course, there was no announcement that she was ill. It's just one day on the news, Elizabeth Sladen's died. And everyone was like, oh. Yeah, that was mad, it wasn't was. it? Because she was, uh, wasn't uh, the Sarah Jane Adventures like on that one? Yeah, it was. They were, Mid-season. That's right. They were halfway through shooting season five. And then they had a production break, and then she died. Have you ever watched the Sarah Jane Adventures? Oh, all of them apart from the last story. Any good? Very good. Intelligent writing for kids. Okay. A bit like how we had Children of the Stones, intelligently written stuff for kids. Did you cry at school reunion? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. However, won't watch the last two. Because if I watch it, I've watched everything she's in, and I don't want yeah. to. However, she died, and of course, my eldest uh, son at the time, he would have been about six, and he'd never had any encounter with death at all. Not even with a pet. So had a cat and that lived till it was 20. And yeah. he died two, uh, 18 months ago. So it was the first time and he found it quite difficult. But Private Eye published a lovely cartoon of her gravestone and K9 in front of her with his head bowed. And so I cut this out of Private Eye and I gave it to Harry. Um, and then I thought, well, could I, go, could I get do any better than that so I emailed Private Eye and I said look is there any way you could send me a copy of that cartoon I could do something with it and they went one better and a week later a big hardback A4 envelope turned up and there is the original cartoon just there there we go um, that's a beautiful story isn't man. it um, and uh, good on them as well well absolutely and in the back uh, what's lovely is there's a handwritten note to my son, not me, uh, to Harry, from Ian Hislop. Uh, but unfortunately, then when I had it framed, it got sealed in the back. But it's there uh, for future. You can future. always get it there if you, you need can. it to. So there that we is, go. That is beautiful. That is. That's yeah. a lovely thing. Yeah. So, so there we go. That's, that's that series summed up.
Yes, well, I mean, we managed to stay on topic, more or less. Almost. Yes. Dare say there's a fair bit of... I'll, I bet when I listen back, there's nothing else we've spoken Nothing about. that needs trimming. No. No, no, it was pretty out. There's just Doctor Who. That yeah, was it. out it goes. Um, so, yes, there we yeah, go. And a beautiful story to end on as well. Yes. Yes, yes. So. yes. It's feeling a bit like Mavis, this. Mavis? Mavis Nicholson. Oh, no, Mavis it, Nicholson. It? Yeah. It is yeah. a bit like that. Isn't it's Mavis? weird because we've never sort of ventured out of our homes. No. Even, even the last one we did was in my house. Was it house. yours? And here we are. And we've got... You know, we've had a guest. Yeah, in Mike's lovely workshops. In Mike's amazing workshops. All of his very nice things. Very so nice things. I love this room. It reminds me of rooms I used to practice in when I was like 15, 16, after the purge. Oh, uh, like uh, crash bands. rehearsal studios. Those yeah, are the something like that. There's just something about mm. that sort of honesty, isn't there, about it? Because yeah. it's just like, look, this is the original... You know, coving the original uh, mouldings, door, everything, floor. I love that square yes. of leftover carpet. I walked in, mm. and it was just like, I'm, I'm home. Yeah, I'm home. Absolutely, this feels great. Yeah. So, so uh, it's getting a bit nippy now. It is a little bit. My bollocks are like a corduroy <laughs> cap. So yeah. So, so thank you to Mike. Um, thank you, Mike. And, and thank you to everyone who's uh, joined us for this little venture through this. I don't know which to look in it. Well, I'm, really I'm going on close up. I noticed on the last one, you know, when I went to wedge the door up. Yeah. I know you were checking the cameras. Yeah. You know, because you were looking. But it looked like you were looking at people on the floor. I thought, oh, that's nice. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it sort of, it gave me a sort of, like, well, it, it, yes. And it was like, if you watch it. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it, Tally, that? How it's, it's got its own sort of vocabulary in that way mm, you yeah. know what I mean because you are with just a tiny move of your eyes mm -hmm. you're creating a story you're creating an entire um, absolutely everything yeah which is what we're celebrating 60 years old exactly people are going to go crazy for this aren't they because it isn't just me you and the artistic lad now it's like so many people are into oh, it oh it's huge now and it's now on Disney Plus around the world I mean so these are these going to go out like, yeah that they are for the first time ever. It's just launching across the world at once, everywhere. And do you think there's much truth to this? Or is it wishful thinking? The Paul McGann stuff. Stories? Oh, I believe that's true. Oh man, that'd be amazing. Oh, Wouldn't it be amazing? I, I mean, I've stories with all of them in. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I've, I've concurrent now. series. Oh yeah. I know it's not impossible. Dream. Oh, they could come true, dear. They, they could. could. Yes. Right, well, that's where we'll end it. So, we hope you all enjoyed whatever that was, and we hope you're all enjoying celebrating Doctor Who's 60th anniversary. 40 years since the five Doctors. Terrifying. We're old bastards now. Terrifying. And so, until the next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>